This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Gabriel Wortman? So first I'll go through the background of Gabriel Wortman. I'll move to the timeline of the crimes, then I'll offer my analysis. Starting with the background, Gabriel Wortman was born in New Brunswick, Canada on July 5, 1968. Not much is known about his early life. We know that it's been reported that he was mistreated by his father when he was young. His father was described as a chronic petty thief who was manipulative. Wortman was described as different. He was bullied by his classmates, often being the target of jokes. Wortman graduated from high school, where he expressed an interest in being a police officer someday. After high school, he went to college. As an adult, he accumulated substantial wealth. He would eventually own over $2 million worth of real estate in Canada, and he operated two clinics where he made dentures. He had a girlfriend who lived with him in Porta Peak, Nova Scotia. Technically, they had a common-law marriage, but apparently he referred to her as his girlfriend. In 2002, he pleaded guilty to assault, was ordered to participate in anger management counseling, and was prohibited from possessing firearms. In 2004, a friend of his was about to lose his house due to financial problems. Wortman took over ownership of the house, evicted his friend, then sold the property. This would result in a lawsuit. Another incident in 2015 would also result in a lawsuit. Wortman had stayed in a house owned by his uncle. Wortman refused to give it back, saying his uncle owed him money. In 2010, the police investigated Wortman due to an allegation he threatened his parents, but nothing came of that investigation. In 2011, the police received an anonymous tip saying that Wortman had a desire to kill a police officer and that he had mental health issues. The police took no action. In 2013, Wortman was reported by a former neighbor for assaulting his girlfriend and having illegal firearms. So the girlfriend here is Wortman's girlfriend. The police did not receive a complaint from her, so they didn't do anything. Not long before the attack that Wortman would carry out, he withdrew almost half a million dollars. It appears as though he was becoming paranoid that the government was going to take his money. Now moving to the attack, the timeline of the crimes. On April 18, 2020, Wortman and his girlfriend returned to their house in Porta Peak after attending a party. The couple was celebrating their anniversary. This was not long before 10 p.m. They had been arguing since the party. Wortman attacked his wife and handcuffed her. Eventually, he locked her inside of one of his retired police vehicles. So he had a number of vehicles that were retired from the police. I'll talk about that in a moment. If he had told her their anniversary would be unforgettable, he wouldn't have been lying. Wortman set fire to his house and loaded firearms into the vehicle. He returned to the party and killed seven people. During that attack, his girlfriend was able to escape. A few minutes later, Wortman returned to his house and shot and killed a woman who lived across the street. She had come outside to investigate. Two of Wortman's neighbors drove to his house to see what was going on. After realizing his house was on fire, they started driving away from his house. This is when they encountered Wortman sitting in that retired police vehicle. He shot at them, striking one of them in the shoulder. Wortman continued shooting people. 
By the time the police arrived, he had killed 13 people and set three houses on fire. Wortman was able to escape the neighborhood by driving through a blueberry field. The police believed there was only one way in and out of the neighborhood. They didn't know about the blueberry field, so they didn't know to block it. It's not clear exactly when, but at some point, Wortman dressed as an RCMP officer, Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And of course, he was driving a retired police vehicle, which looked like it was in service. Wortman would spend the night behind a welding shop about 16 miles east of Porta Peak. He drove to a house in Wentworth, arriving there at about 6.30 a.m. He killed the two occupants of that house and their two dogs. About three hours later, he set fire to the house and killed a neighbor who saw the fire and tried to offer assistance. As he was driving out of the area, he would shoot and kill another victim who was walking on the side of the road. At 9.45 a.m., he arrived at another house and tried to gain entry by impersonating a police officer. The occupants recognized him because they knew him. They would not let him enter the house. Wortman then shot and killed two more victims. It was not until after this attack that the RCMP warned the public that Wortman was impersonating a police officer. Wortman pulled alongside a police cruiser and fired at the driver. The officer was injured, but would survive. Wortman then drove about three-tenths of a mile before ramming his vehicle into a police vehicle head-on. Wortman and the officer of the vehicle he struck would exchange fire. Wortman shot and killed her, took her weapon, and set both vehicles on fire. A motorist had stopped to assist the officer. Wortman shot them and took their SUV, a Chevrolet Tracker. This was at about 11 a.m. The police were aware of this vehicle switch, so they knew that Wortman moved from the retired police cruiser to the Chevrolet Tracker. He then drove to the house of a woman he knew, killed her, changed his clothes, and took her vehicle, a Mazda 3. The police were not aware of this vehicle switch. At 11.26 a.m., Wortman stopped at a service area in Enfield. Two police officers were also there to refuel. They just happened to park next to the Mazda 3. One of the officers recognized Wortman after seeing he had a wound on his forehead. Wortman produced the firearm he had just stolen from the other police officer, and the officers at this service station shot him. He would not survive. Now moving to my analysis. Let's take a look at some of Wortman's characteristics. Various people who knew him described him as controlling, manipulative, and a career criminal. Wortman wasn't particularly popular with his neighbors. One said that he consumed too much alcohol. Another said that they believed he was stockpiling propane tanks and gasoline, and they heard him brag about having the ability to dispose of bodies with acid. Some people have called these red flags. I think this is a little bit beyond red flags. I think Wortman's house is where red flags went to be trained as extremists, like advanced red flag training. Interestingly, other people saw something different when they looked at Wortman, describing him as gentle, quiet, easy to talk to, normal nice, and someone who joked around a bit. Wortman had a particular dislike for police officers, but also wanted to be one, as I mentioned before. He bought old police cars and fixed them up, including having decals made for them. Also, he bought law enforcement memorabilia. One witness said that Wortman would dress up in a police uniform and conduct role plays. Wortman's attack had elements of spontaneity as well as premeditation. It seemed like he decided to carry out the attack because he was angry, but at the same time, he was ready for such an attack. 
He had collected a number of firearms, had stockpiled ammunition, he had the police uniform, and of course the retired police vehicles. It was almost like he was just waiting for something to push him over the edge so he could do something he always wanted to do. His tactics, like using the retired police vehicle, allowed him to escape detection for some time and allowed him easy access to victims. People believed he was actually a police officer, and few people would think that a police officer would just randomly shoot them. Wortman's fascination with law enforcement is an interesting dynamic that we see in a number of murders. For example, Ed Kemper wanted to be a police officer. He used to frequent a local bar that was known as a police hangout. The police officers actually liked him quite a bit. Both Kenneth Bianche, the Hillside Strangler, and Ted Bundy posed as police officers to lure victims. Joseph D'Angelo, the Golden State Killer, was employed as a police officer in the mid to late 1970s. And Stephanie Lazarus and Drew Peterson were both police officers. Many police officers have subclinical psychopathy. A typical personality profile for a police officer is low openness to experience, so they have traditional values and aren't particularly creative, mid-range conscientiousness, high extroversion, so sensation-seeking and assertive, low agreeableness, so competitive and they don't tend to trust people, and low neuroticism. They can stay calm under pressure. Now, subclinical psychopathy isn't necessarily bad or good. It just is what it is. It's a level of certain traits. It's considered somewhat necessary for certain positions like being a police officer, firefighter, soldier, skydiver, surgeon. A lot of people in those careers benefit from the subclinical psychopathic traits. Now, when somebody has more pronounced psychopathic traits, like those associated with psychopathology, they could be interested in law enforcement for the same reasons as those with subclinical psychopathy, like excitement-seeking and having authority. When people are too psychopathic to be functional as a police officer, they are often detected in the hiring process or they commit crimes before they attempt to become a police officer and are permanently excluded from that type of work. These wannabe cops become fixated on what they think they deserve. They feel cheated out of a job that they would have loved and a job that would let them dominate people. The problem with the tendency to become fixated is that there is no substitute for the object of the fixation. There are plenty of jobs that are exciting that are not related to law enforcement, but these individuals start to maintain a singular focus. They can't see any other career path that would lead to fulfillment. This sense of loss and being cheated leads to resentment of all police officers and anyone who supports the police. They become envious of officers. They look at police officers as people who are simply lucky enough to beat the system. They believe the officers are inherently criminal, just like they are. The only difference is the officers didn't get caught committing a crime when they were younger. This resentment can build into rage, and these psychopathic characteristics allow them to express that rage with deadly consequences. With this particular resentment mechanism and narcissism, it's not surprising that people like this also have grievances with many people, not just police officers. Wortman is somebody who would ruminate on anger. It's like he wanted to settle the score with everyone who ever offended him in any way. He knew many of the people he killed, although as his rampage continued, he started killing people at random. Both types of homicide likely satisfied a need for revenge. 
even though some police officers can be more psychopathic than what is helpful, the structure of the police, the rules, the supervisors, the other people around them kind of monitoring their behavior informally can help them to stay in line. For someone like Wortman, there was no structure. There was nobody to rein in his more extreme behavior. A combination of factors may have led to Wortman's crimes, a disagreement with his girlfriend, an underlying sense of being a failure because he did not achieve his goal of being a police officer, a large number of grievances that he could not let go, and it seems likely he had mental health symptoms including paranoia and trouble with alcohol. These factors combined and allowed him to release all of his rage at one time. Are there any lessons that can be learned from this case? Other than the obvious lesson of recognizing signs of danger, many of which were missed in this case by the police, I think the lesson here may have been something to do with the maltreatment, including bullying, that was directed toward Wartman when he was younger. In a sense, the people that bullied him were perhaps narcissistic and psychopathic as well. Bullies like to channel this negativity into one person. They focus on a target like Wartman. In addition to being cruel, I think people forget that this type of harm goes somewhere. It does not dissipate into the atmosphere. Rather, it has consequences. It's like twisting a rubber band repeatedly. It's building up potential energy. I don't necessarily believe one factor led to this horrible crime. It was probably a combination of factors. But if one had been removed, any of the factors had been removed, the outcome may have been different. If Wortman was properly investigated for his prior bad acts, if he wasn't allowed to have weapons, or perhaps if he was not bullied, the outcome could have been much different. Sometimes with killers like these, other antisocial people make an investment in them through mistreatment, the kind of investment that pays dividends of death. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.